This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. Welcome, this is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast show. Our community is made of so many amazing and diverse groups of people, as are the programs that are on Joy 94.9. There is something there for everybody. A Little Pot of Joy is where we highlight just some of those amazing programs. We're opening the evening with a podcast from Is Nothing Sacred? Ambiguity and Achievement, and it first aired on December the 8th last year. This episode was a tribute to Stella Young, who at that time I believe had had just passed. Unfortunately, she had just passed away. She was such an amazing person. Mm, So this is really her speaking about her experience as a disabled person and, and a tribute to her as well. It really is a podcast to go back to and listen to. We have only just taken a small portion of it where she just discusses how she is just a person. To me, she was way more than just a person. So if you'd like to listen to the entire podcast, go to joy.org.au forward slash is nothing sacred and more podcasts are available for download from the Joy website, joy.org.au. This is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. Just moving on to something a little bit more serious. We heard some very upsetting news today, which was um, the passing of Stella Young, which um, Steph alerted me to. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know Stella Young, she's a Australian comedian, journalist for ABC, um, very well-known personality in the disability advocacy space. Um, and one of the most friendly people you could ever meet if you ever bumped into her or had her run over your foot with her wheelchair. With she's her, her she's chair. pretty great. <laughs> very, she used to do. very funny comedian. And she was the editor of Ramp Up before the Abbott government decided to take the funding away from it. Well, I'm, in honour of, of Stella, um, we are going to play a little bit of some of her stand-up and also her magnificent TED talk, which is I'm Not Your Inspiration. I grew up in a very small country town in Victoria. Uh, I had a very normal, low-key kind of upbringing. Uh, you know, I went to school, I hung out with my friends, I fought with my younger sisters. It was all very normal. And when I was 15, a member of my local community approached my parents and wanted to nominate me for a Community Achievement Award. And my parents said, "Mm, that's really nice, but there's kind of one glaring problem with that. She hasn't actually achieved anything. (laughs) Yeah. And they were right, you know. I went to school, I got good marks... I had a very low-key after-school job in my mum's hairdressing salon, and I spent a lot of time watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Dawson's Creek. Yeah, I know, what a contradiction. (laughs) But they were right. You know, I wasn't doing anything that was out of the ordinary at all. Um, I wasn't doing anything that could be considered an achievement if you took disability out of the equation. Years later, I was on my second teaching round in a Melbourne high school, and I was about 20 minutes into a year 11 legal studies class uh, when this boy put up his hand and said, hey, miss, when are you going to start doing your speech? And I said, what speech? And uh, he said, you know, like your motivational speaking. You know, when people in wheelchairs come to school, they usually say, like, inspirational stuff? (laughs) It's usually in the big hall. 
when it dawned on me, this kid had only ever experienced disabled people as objects of inspiration. <laughs> we are not, you know, to this kid, and it's not his fault. I mean, that's true for many of us. You know, for lots of us, disabled people are not our teachers or our doctors or our manicurists. We're not real people. We are there to inspire. Um, and in fact, you know, I'm sitting on this stage looking like I do in this wheelchair and you are probably kind of expecting me to inspire you, right? Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you dramatically. I'm not here to inspire you. I'm here to tell you that we have been lied to about disability. Yeah, we've been sold the lie that disability is a bad thing. And to live with disability makes you exceptional. It's not a bad thing. And it doesn't make you exceptional. And in the past few years, we've been able to propagate this lie even further via social media. You know, you may have seen images like this one. The only disability in life is a bad attitude. There are a lot of these images out there. You know, you might have seen the one, the little girl with no hands, drawing a picture with a pencil held in her mouth. Uh, you might have seen a child running on carbon fibre prosthetic legs. Um, and these images, you know, there are lots of them out there. They are what we call inspiration porn. <laughs> and I use the term porn deliberately because it, they objectify one group of people for the benefit of another group of people. So in this case, we're objectifying disabled people for the benefit of non-disabled people. The purpose of these images is to inspire you, to motivate you, so that we can look at them and think, well, however bad my life is, it could be worse. I've lost count of the number of times that I've been approached by strangers wanting to tell me that they think I'm brave or inspirational. And this was long before my work had any kind of public profile. They were just kind of congratulating me for managing to get up in the morning and remember my own name. <laughs> and I know what you're thinking. You know, I'm up here bagging out inspiration. You're thinking, geez, Stella, aren't you inspired sometimes by some things? And the thing is, I am. I learn from other disabled people all the time. I'm learning not that I am luckier than them, though. I am learning that it's a genius idea to use a pair of barbecue tongs to pick up things that you drop. <laughs> I'm learning that nifty trick where you can charge your mobile phone battery from your chair battery. Genius. We are learning from each other strength and endurance, not against our bodies and our diagnoses, but against a world that exceptionalises and objectifies us. I really think that this lie that we've been sold about disability is the greatest injustice. Um, it, is, it, makes life, it makes life hard for us. Um, the, and that quote, the only disability in life is a bad attitude, the reason that that's bullshit <laughs> is because it's just not true. Because of the social model of disability, you know, no amount of smiling at a flight of stairs has ever made it turn into a rap. Never. <laughs> a 
I really want to live in a world where disability is not the exception but the norm. I want to live in a world where a 15-year-old girl sitting in her bedroom watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer isn't referred to as achieving anything because she's doing it sitting down. I want to live in a world where we don't have such low expectations of disabled people that we are congratulated for getting out of bed and remembering our own names in the morning. I want to live in a world where we value genuine achievement for disabled people. And I want to live in a world where a kid in year 11 in a Melbourne high school is not one bit surprised that his new teacher is a wheelchair user. Disability doesn't make you exceptional, but questioning what you think you know about it does. You were listening, that, that last bit of the program was Stella Young, the late Stella Young, with that fantastic TED talk that she did in Sydney, where she refused to allow us to be inspired by her, and I thought that it was just wonderful. It was such a funny and, and really empowering speech. Joy. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy with Alison Andrea on Joy 94.9. And that was a really amazing podcast from Is Nothing Sacred, featuring a TED Talk by Stella Young. We actually had to truncate that quite a bit. It, we can't say inspiring, can no, we? No, we can't. But it really was a very moving podcast. And if you get a chance, go back. It's back in last year's podcast from Is Nothing Sacred. It's worthwhile listening to. I think it's especially important to me because I have a really good mate here at the radio station, Amy, who's also a wheelie who has cerebral palsy. She's one of the most amazing people that I know. And as she says, she is just a person like anyone else. She has the same feelings, needs and attractions that any other person would have. And the only difference is that she does everything sitting down. But such an amazing person. Absolutely. And we have an interview with... Amy coming up, so we'll talk a bit more about that in a bit. But up next, we have from QNN News and Information for the Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Trans and Intersex Communities of Australia and the World. It's broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. If you can't listen to the show live, download the podcast from the JOY website, www.joy.org.au or the iTunes store. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. Now, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network, this is QNN, a look back at the events of the week in news and sport, important to gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender and intersex communities. QNN. QNN. G'day and welcome to QNN. I'm Adam Samuel. And I'm Jacob Holman. It was a great day to be Irish last week, with 62% voting to enshrine same-sex marriage in the Constitution on Friday's referendum. Votes in favour of the proposal, 1,201,607. Votes against the proposal, 734,300. Ireland is the first country in the world to make gay marriage law through a popular vote. The Yes campaign had feared the result would come down to a rural-urban divide. In the end, though, 42 out of 43 constituencies across Ireland gave gay marriage the green tick. Flights into Dublin from London and New York booked out as thousands came home to cast a vote. I came back home to Dublin to vote from Stockholm, Sweden. There's just so many different emotions, but I think for me, I'm very much taking home with me back to Sweden the fact that LGBTQ people in Ireland 
and their relationships and their families are finally recognised. The result reflects a massive social shift in traditionally Catholic Ireland, where homosexuality was still a crime until 1993, and it has many in Australia asking the question, how did Ireland beat us to the punch? The historic vote has led to calls for a similar referendum in Australia, but Australian marriage equality has called that an escape route for opponents of reform. This is Rodney Croom speaking with the ABC. The problem in Ireland was that their constitution banned same-sex marriage. The only way to change that was through a referendum. Here, there's no such constitutional barriers. He estimates there's just four more votes needed in the lower house and a majority of one in the Senate. Joining those on the yes side this week was Labor's Tony Burke. This week, both the Prime Minister and Leader of the Opposition also ruled out a plebiscite. It's up to members of Parliament who are eager for change to decide whether they want to bring it forward. Ireland occupies a special place in Australian consciousness. Many of us have Irish ancestry. We know it's been traditionally pretty religiously conservative. So if the Irish people can vote in favour of marriage equality, the question has to be asked, what's Tony Abbott's problem with it? QNN. Our legislation proposes a new definition. The union of two people. To all lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and intersex Australians, we offer change that says your relationship is equal under the law. Let's switch on the light. Let's make 2015 the year when Australians embrace marriage equality. Hopes are high that gay marriage could be delivered before the end of the year, with the Leader of the Opposition, Bill Shorten, seizing the momentum following Ireland's referendum. The pressure is now squarely on the Prime Minister. In Parliament last week, Tony Abbott gave the strongest hint yet that a free vote is on the cards. If our Parliament were to make a big decision on a matter such as this, it ought to be owned by the Parliament and not by any particular party. So how keen was the Coalition to own the issue? Not very, it turns out. Tanya Plibersek's offer to drop out as a co-sponsor of the bill in favour of a Liberal supporter of marriage equality was ignored, and in Parliament on Monday, the government benches were almost empty. Liberal MP Warren Ench has criticised the timing of Mr Shorten's bill. This is not something that should be a single individual hanging their shingle on this, and this is I'm disappointed with the, uh, if you like, the diversion or, you know, Bill's bill. No, I, I think that is totally counterproductive. But Labor's Penny Wong doubts reports the government ever intended to raise the matter in the spring session of Parliament. Well, do you, do you think we'd be even having this conversation if Bill Shorten and Tanya Plibersek hadn't moved this bill? We've had 14 months with a bill proposed by Tanya, offering bipartisanship. No one stepped up. Well, it's time someone does, and it's time Tony Abbott was made to do the right thing. The week following Ireland's historic gay marriage referendum saw a dramatic shift in the debate here at home. Switching over to the column in favour were Coalition MPs Greg Hunt, Mal Bruff, Ewan Jones and Darren Chester. Also backing the reform on his 2GB show last week was Alan Jones. In a very difficult world, which is often impersonal, uncaring, ruthless and sometimes brutal, in personal relationships, love can prove elusive. And my view is that when people find love, they should be able to celebrate it. All eyes now are on the Prime Minister and whether or not he will honour his election promise to let the party decide on a free vote. And turning to other news now, the Royal Children's Hospital is set to receive an additional $6 million of funding over the next four years to resource the growing need of gender dysphoria services. Since its commencement in 2003, the waiting list for support and services for transgender youth has jumped from seven in 2007 to 104 last year. Minister for Equality Martin Foley says the work of the clinic is life-saving and will make a huge difference in the lives of those who are accessing the service. 
Advocates have welcomed the repeal of a law in Victoria which criminalised the transmission of HIV. The Andrews Labor government promised before the election to repeal Section 19A of the Crimes Act, which had never been successfully used in court. Paul Kidd from the HIV Legal Working Group says other laws can be used in cases of deliberate HIV transmission. He spoke to Joy 94.9 this week. Our argument against it has been on uh, two fronts. Part of it is that it's essentially redundant, but more importantly, we think that it's a very counterproductive law. It's something that perpetuates stigma against people with HIV. And now for Q&A Sport, here's Tanya Lewis. Kazakhstan has dropped its proposal for an anti-gay propaganda bill in fear of losing its bid to host the 2022 Winter Olympics. The bill prohibits propaganda of non-traditional sexual orientation, but Kazakhstan's council now says the law is not in line with the country's constitution. After the Russian Winter Games, the International Olympic Committee introduced human rights reforms causing activists to protest against Kazakhstan's bid. Thanks, Tanya. And before we go, it's thank you and goodbye to Joy 94.9 station manager Conrad Brown, who's hanging up the cans after 10 years as a volunteer and staff member. And that's QNN for another week. I'm Adam Samuel. And I'm Jacob Holman. Thanks to a dedicated team of volunteers. That was QNN. QNN is produced at Joy 94.9, Australia's only radio station dedicated to providing informing, uplifting, and empowering content for the diverse gay and lesbian communities. QNN is funded by the Community Broadcasting Foundation and heard nationally each week on the Community Radio Network. Follow QNN on Twitter at QNN Australia. You're listening to a little part of Joy with Alice and Andrea on Joy 94.9. Up next, we have a recent podcast from Absolutely Everybody, Ways to Stay Connected When Dealing with Tough Times. And they're actually co-hosts of mine on Absolutely Everybody. It's Amy and Zoe. There uh, you go. It's an amazing interview. Some of the things that really inspire me about Amy is uh, her resilience and how she just manages to deal with life. And some of the stories she comes up with, you know, being chastised by her mother for using her wheelchair as a weapon. <laughs> uh, so she does have a few times where she possibly lashes out a little bit and might maybe step over the mark a bit. But by the same token, uh, just talking to her, the issues that she's had being a wheelie and actually, you know, tr- just trying to book tickets to go to a, the football or something like that. There is a limited number of spaces for wheelchairs uh, mm. at the football and they only cater for a single space for one carer. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Why can't they book as many tickets as they like for whoever they want to take along? Not everybody in a wheelchair needs a carer. Some of them just want to go along for the social event. And it's just so difficult for her to actually get there. It's ridiculous because it should be so easy to make it accessible. And yet people don't even think about it. It doesn't matter who you are. You're still a person. You have the same needs as anyone else and same feelings. So in this interview, Zoe and Amy, as we mentioned, they do talk about resilience. I think Zoe calls Amy the queen of resilience and ways to stay connected when you're dealing with tough times. A little bit about the hospital and how to make a hospital stay better and how you can acknowledge your emotions and just uh, kind of do a day into a smashing day. If you can't listen to the show live, download the podcast from the Joy website, www.joy.org.au or from the iTunes store. This is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. We are here in the studio with the fabulous Amy and um, I'm Zoe. Amy, you have let's let's find out a little bit more about the Amy. We hear the uh, the Amy Tingay of Anecto um, and the Speakers Bureau and um, the 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 person who comes in as the as the voice on 
absolutely everybody. Mm. But tell us a little bit more about who who is Amy really? Oh, that's a that's a big question. Question. Um, I'm a thirty-something social work student who is a wheelchair user. Um, for those that like labels or are interested in labels, I have CP, cerebral palsy, um, and yeah, have got around in a wheelchair since I was about four and a half. Mm. And you've had you've got a shopping list. Let's face it, you've got a shopping list of um, physical conditions that you've had to overcome. Yeah, I do like collecting um, diagnoses <laughs> and labels. You do. I don't always believe in them, but they're useful uh, occasionally. Yeah, well, to, you know, get a get a sense. And because today we're going to be talking about resilience, and mm. I guess it's uh, who better to tell us about resilience than someone who <laughs> well, is the resilience queen? Thanks for that. <laughs> Not a label you necessarily. I wouldn't want. quite go that far, but um. Well, yeah. I mean, the uh, Merriam-Webster Dictionary tells us that uh, that the definition of resilience is the ability to become strong, healthy or successful again after something bad happens. Yeah, that kind of describes my life. It does, doesn't it? In a way, You're yes. kind of a resilience officer, mm, really. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, what's your first memory of hospital? How, how old were you and what was going on? I would have been about three or four, I think. Okay. Um, and at that stage, they were, in order to make your muscles kind of play ball and be a little bit more um, relaxed, they used to cut your hamstrings and Ooh. your groin muscles. Oh, and, my goodness. And your tendons around ah. that area and stuff. So I went into hospital when I was a little tacker. Um, to have some of that done. Yeah. And remember lying in a hospital bed that seemed to have giant sides. Yeah, um, wow. And yelling to my mum that I didn't I didn't want to go in and I didn't want to have it done. And then they gave me the anaesthetic and the whole room spun. And I just remember trying to fight it and obviously losing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, waking up and being in um, plaster on both legs from... Wow. Sort of all the way up to my hips. So, so what? What were I guess some of the fr- some of the frustrations? And I, I mean, it can't be can't be easy, particularly at that age. Whilst children are very resilient anyway, you know, they mm. they they kind of that's the normality. You don't have anything to you know to balance it against. Yeah. Um, what were some? What are some of your tips? Because it, starting from four, it's been an ongoing uh, place of visitation, the yeah, hospital for you. Yes. So, so what are some of your? I guess what are some of the key challenges that, that people experience? Do you think? Um, and what are some of your tips for experiencing hospital as a better place? The key challenges personally are just communication, basically. Yeah. Okay. Um, a lot of the professionals. Uh, not intentionally, but they see the diagnosis, the label, the what have you, and decide to interact with whoever happens to be in the room rather than yourself. Ah. And that's the biggest challenge. Right, so me. people not not speaking so, directly to yeah. you but speaking to either carers or other people Parents who are there. Or Parents or friends or whoever's in the room, they will speak not always, but a mm. lot of the time, mm. to that other person. And I know a lot of other wheelies in particular, we've experienced similar things yeah. outside of hospitals as well. Sure. But it is particularly difficult in hospital because, A, you're not very well, so it's harder to advocate. Mm. 
for yourself. And B, you actually need to get that information that they're telling you. And if they're not telling it to you, that can make things more difficult. Yeah, and just being able to ask questions and have them answered. So I tend to try and call them out on it a bit more than I ever used to. When I was a kid, I kind of just got introspective and didn't question them on it because I didn't want to have that argument or I didn't quite know how to do it yet. And the other thing is too, we're we're often told, well, that's the professional. You know, the doctor's the professional. So you let the the doctor speak and they'll tell you what you need and what you don't need. But so over time, one of the things you've, what I'm hearing is one of the things that you you do is you now a question say um, hold on a minute how's this going to affect me or what's going on here you try and redirect them or you know as my mum has done a few times she'll just eyeball them and say well don't talk to me she's the one that goes to university great I've I've never (laughs) I've never been to university so um you know. So that's a good one. So for allies um, and mates who are with, to to remember to redirect other people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what what to make a hospital visit, I guess, more tolerable or to get through it? What are some of the techniques that you've used? Um, some of the more recent ones, just simple things. I take earplugs and oh. sleep masks with me. That's such so a good that idea. I can block out some of the beeping, yeah. incessant beeping of machines and yeah. things. Because they're such noisy places. Yeah, and people, I find it too bright as well. Yeah, so. people go and have an, uh, an operation, need to go and recover, and then you've got someone annoying you every three hours for b- blood or something. Yeah. Yeah, that great idea. So take the sleeping mask mm-hmm. and the earplugs. Yeah. That's a good And one. also I like to have um, something to listen to, so mm. either a radio or um, some music or something so that when you're feeling a bit down and your mind starts jumping 20 steps ahead and you're starting to catastrophize and feeling scared or anxious about something that way it um can relax you and distract you enough to kind of get your mind out of that repetitive negative uh yeah, so when you've got thoughts that are going around and around in your head, negative thoughts, yeah. it's distractions, that's, a, that's yeah. a good one. So some of the distractions that you use are, are music, like DVDs, videos, that yeah. sort of thing. Um, yep. Radio, that sort of thing, or texting or calling a friend and saying, I'm kind of on the edge of freaking out here. Um, <laughs> tell me about your day. <laughs> cool. How, how's Felix the cat going? Yeah. Or, you know, talk about someone else's something. stuff. Yeah. yeah. So call a friend, talk about other stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I imagine there's um, that it'd be so easy to beat yourself up about, you know, not being at your prime function when you're not feeling that great. Um, yes, it is yeah. quite easy. Yeah. Um, but luckily... Thank you to all my fabulous friends and family who like to remind me that I'm doing a pretty damn good job considering all the things that are happening at the moment, Mm. Um, which is good to remind yourself of and give yourself some credit for um, not falling in a heap entirely. And even for those who have fallen in a heap, maybe it's just what you need to do at the time and give yourself permission to do that. Joy. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy on Joy 94.9 with Alice and Andrea. Up next, we have a podcast from Well, 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 
featuring Jane Green from the Vixen Collective. Jesse, Jack and Anthony are joined this week by Jane Green from Vixen Collective. They discuss the role of the collective in the community and chat about the sex worker industry, as well as understanding sex workers from a legal and health perspective. Now, it is a fantastic podcast, and if you just can't listen to the show live or you'd like to go back and watch that podcast, you can download all podcasts from the Joy website, joy.org.au, or the iTunes store. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. Joy, joy, joy. Hello, everyone. This is Well, Well, Well on Joy 94.9. This is Jesse, Jack, and Anthony on today's show, and we are talking with Jane from Vixen. Welcome, Jane. How are you today? I'm great, thanks. It's good to have you on the show. Could you start by please telling the listener a little bit about yourself and what you do work-wise? Absolutely. I'm queer. I'm a current sex worker. I work here in Melbourne and a brothel, although I also tour, so that means I work around Australia. And um, I'm not actually from Australia. I'm from New Zealand, but I've been over here a number of years. Um, And I work in a variety of different types of sex work. So I do full-service sex work, but I also work in BDSM. Now, Jane, um, you're involved with the Vixen Collective. Can you tell us a little bit about what they are and what they do? Yes, um, Vixen is Victoria's peer-only sex work organisation, and what that means is that we're an organisation made up entirely of sex workers and only sex workers, and we aim through our objectives and our work to promote the cultural, legal, human, occupational and civil rights of all sex workers. And can you elaborate a little bit about the importance of working from a peer-based perspective that I suppose some other groups don't tend to employ? Yeah. Um, Sex workers are the experts in our own lives and work, and yet it's often the case that sex workers' representative organisations are routinely excluded from discussions about law and policy and enforcement by government and regulators. And also anti-sex work organisations and rescue type organisations use sex work as a funding opportunity and then speak out on sex work to government and to the media, espousing views that often directly harm sex workers. And you see that actually quite often here in Victoria. Yeah. And peer sex work organisations are responsible to our community uh, because we're part of our community. And most importantly, we're speaking from our own lived experience, yeah. much like other peer organisations in the LGBTIQ yes. and HIV community. Mm, mm. And that's really important. So can I just kind of clarify, the Vixen Collective is um, like a, a union for sex workers. Is that kind of... No, we we don't have um, unionisation of sex workers in Australia, and that's a a bit of a complex issue, but one of the key things that works against us unionising is the fact that sex workers don't want to register their names or have their details Uh, held Mm -hmm. because of the stigma that's attached to being a sex worker at the moment. So, Absolutely. In terms of stigma, do you think... What is one thing that you could pull out that would help with reducing that kind of stigma? Well, I think obviously decriminalisation of sex work is a is a key thing to yeah. address um, reducing stigma. And you yeah. can look to environments like New Zealand, mm-hmm. um, where decriminalisation has been in place, and also obviously within Australia, New South Wales. Um, 
where you can see that start to take effect. And it's not like a magic switch where you, you have decriminalisation and suddenly everything's yes. fine, mm-hmm. but it's a starting point. Yes. Yeah. Um, in terms of the programmes or anything like that that Vixen run or groups, can you talk about some of the stuff that you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I won't run through everything, but some of the key things that Vixen does is we um, consult with Victorian sex workers on key community issues, and that's actually really pivotal because that's one of the things that organisations that are not peer-based don't do. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, We also run education initiatives with broader non-sex worker community. Uh, We do advocacy and lobbying to government. Um, We work to break down stigma um, and promote positive media on sex work and I think anyone that looks at the media that we have both print um, and other media in Victoria can see that it's quite negative often on sex work. Mm -hmm. Um, And we do public education um, so those are very um, right. much our key things, but we yes. do a lot of other programs as well. Great. Yeah. Now, Jane, there are many forms of sex work that make up the industry. Can you please describe for us some of them and the differences perhaps between them? For example, sex, uh, sorry, street-based sex work, legal versus unlicensed, home-based, escort work, etc. Just give us an insight. Yes, um, I actually started um, working in sex work, doing street-based sex work back in New Zealand. Um, And when I was first working as a street-based sex worker, um, it was before decriminalisation New Zealand. So that was in a criminalised environment. Mm. And actually when all sex work was criminalised in New Zealand. Uh, And at the moment here in Victoria, street-based sex work is criminalised even though we have a licensing system. So I think what can be confusing uh, to members of the public is they can have a perception that sex work is legal when, in fact, certain types of sex work can still be criminalised. Okay. And that affects sex workers' rights quite profoundly. It would, yeah. yeah. So it depends. So the, whether it's criminal or not depends on the context. It can do. Um, and what's also confusing is within Australia, different states, different states have very it's different yes. methods right. of regulating sex work. So within Australia, there's three main types of sex work regulation. We have criminalisation, which is basically sex work is illegal. You're not allowed to do it. Um, there is one state where sex work is still completely criminalised and that's South Australia um, and people often forget that there's one whole state where sex mm, work is right. illegal. Um, obviously sex workers in South Australia don't forget that um, mm-hmm. and obviously sex work still goes on in South Australia. Yes. Um, it's not like if you make it illegal it stops. Yes. Um, much like uh, sex, you don't just make it go away by, you know... Yes. So writing, pretending it's not there. Yeah, pretending yes. it's not happening. So, but the, the, the key thing is that under criminalisation, stigma and discrimination against sex workers is very high. And sex workers have very low access to police and to justice if things go wrong in their lives. Mm. And that's the key thing for us as advocates for sex workers. Under a licensing system, which is what we have here in Victoria, generally there's a partial removal of the criminal laws, but not necessarily all of them, and that's what I was saying with street-based sex work, it's still criminalised. But there's a, uh, an application of all specific sex um, industry laws and regulations that are put in place, as well as a state apparatus to administrate those. So if you think of it like uh, a big ball of red tape Mm. um, that makes it very difficult for sex workers to work because it gives us all of these regulations that tell us how and when and where we can work. Mm. So as a generalised picture, correct me if I'm wrong, Mm. um, from my understanding, street-based sex work in Victoria is criminalised. Yes. 
and brothel-based sex work with who have been licensed is legalized. It's it's legal. It's legal. And, and um, what about escort services or home-based? You services? can be an escort, but you have to be registered. Right. And you can have a what's called an a exemption to be an exempt. Um, it's called you're an exempt um, small um, brothel, but like it's a bit of a complicated situation because obviously it's just if you're one individual. individual. Right. Um, but it's very complex. You have to get your landlord to give permission. You have to get council approval. And obviously, because oh, it's yeah. treated as a place of Hoops. business. Yes. So obviously, the, these are things that are not easy to get. Yes. And this is what I mean by saying you have to like go through a lot of red tape. Yeah. Yeah. You wanted to touch a little bit more on the criminalisation aspect of things. Yeah. Well, we've talked about um, criminalisation and licensing. Um, so I wanted to just touch briefly on decriminalisation. So. As I said, licensing is a partial removal of the criminal laws and the application of a whole bunch of regulations and red tape. Decriminalisation um, is the complete removal of all criminal laws relating to the sex industry and sex work is just regulated like any other business. Mm. And sex workers may still face stigma and discrimination but this begins to be broken down as sex workers have the ability to access police assistance as other members of the public do and also make choices around our health based um, rather than on our health based rather than these being forced by government policy mm. which is often driven by stigma rather than evidence and I think realistically the simplest way to put it is sex workers don't want anything more or anything different than any, anyone else. They just want the same. Yes. And mm. so being able to work as other workers and have the same uh, rights as other workers and be able to have the ability to reach out mm. the same industrial instruments like to go to the Fair mm. Work om- Ombudsman. Yeah, protection under the law. Yeah, and have protection under the law. Mm. It's a very simple thing, but it's very meaningful to us because we don't have it at the moment. Mm. That's right. And it kind of keeps sex workers as the other too, doesn't yeah. it? It sort of maintains this separation between what's legitimate work and what's not, and it's a, it's a real disappointing. I think yeah. that's the key word. It almost perpetuates the so-called illegitimacy concept that you're not quite the same as other workers, if you like. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and I know from having to work as an advocate when there have been industrial situations that needed help and needed intervention, mm. and we've tried to get help from, say, the Fair Work Ombudsman here in Victoria or help from the police because of industrial disputes where we've been, say, locked out of a work site um, or a brothel. We actually Mm. had a lockout here in Victoria a couple of years ago and all of the workers' property was locked on site and literally nobody would help. Mm. And those sort of situations are incredibly disempowering. Absolutely. um, And when literally you can't get any state um, authority to help you and the police won't help you, it's just mm. beyond depressing. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and, and to get take it further, it's actually oppressive, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's oppression, really, of the work. Um, and that's why um, Vixen is an organisation um, and sex workers fight all the time so strongly to get decriminalisation. Yeah. Um, and as I said before, it's not the complete fix, but it's a starting point for having our rights recognised and having our voices heard. Yeah. Joy. 
You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy on Joy 94.9 with Alison Andrea. And we've come to the end of another evening and it's been amazing. Some of the programs we've actually, it's been so hard to cut them down into a form that we can actually play overnight. You can find more complete podcasts on the Joy website, www.joy.org.au or download them for free from the iTunes store. You've been listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. See joy.org.au and click on our podcast link to subscribe to your favorite podcasts free. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organization, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.